Hi, this is Greg Dyro. I'm here with my co-host. Tom Burka. Hi, how are you? Today we have a guest. Uh, we have the actor Tim Russ, who you may know from Star Trek Voyager. Uh, and Tim is a, a director, uh, an actor, a musician, uh, and an astronomer. And we're going to talk to Tim about a lot of stuff today. Um, right, Tom? Yes, we are. I mean, uh, there are a lot of things I want to ask him about, but I don't think we're going to be able to get to it because we only have a limited amount of time. But hopefully we'll be able to have Tim back. But first, you'll probably want to listen to us interviewing him for the first time. Yes. And here we go. Our interview with Tim Russ. So, hi, Tim. How It's been a little while since I've talked to you. Uh, yes, it has been a long time, actually. Yeah, a long time. And you've been a busy guy. <laughs> That's um, good. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, uh, it just it, it all comes in waves, you know. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, all of a sudden, in one week, you've got 12 things that you have to do. It would have been better if they'd been spread out. Yeah, of course it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, so here is there. Let me... Let me do a quick intro. Uh, Tim, this is my friend Tom Burka who who does this with me. And Tom's in New York at the moment. So very cool. All right. Hi, Tim. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I was a former assistant DA in in Brooklyn, and uh, um, you know, and I, I did a little bit of acting, and now I'm doing some voiceovers and audiobooks and that kind of thing while I'm in semi retirement. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, which is why I'd asked about, you know, how how your your voiceover was doing and that was one of the subjects I think, you know, was of interest to us, which is kind of cool. So Oh yeah, yeah, it's been uh gosh, I've been doing that for I don't know, 20 plus years. Uh easily. I started I started doing that when I was still on the show, actually. Did you? Wow. Yeah, I did at least 3 audiobooks back then, 3 or 4 um audiobooks while I was on the show and then subsequently uh, worked with, started working with an agency and doing uh, video games and you know some commercial spots and things like that. Well, that's uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to want to ask you about uh, at least Fallout. Just what the experience of doing that is like when you're working on a, uh, doing voiceovers for a video game. Uh, oh yeah, you've done many video games. I think that might be. The most prominent, although Last of Us Part Two, you did voices as well, and that was a huge, huge yeah, release. That was a big release. Uh, Fallout was, and there's, I, I've done a couple more that were pretty sizable. I've just finished a couple, uh, the reboot or the redo, or the next version of uh, a couple of the fantasy, fantasy games, the big ones, um, Dragon Age, and uh, and oh I yeah, think, and I think the biggest one. Is about to. They're about to do the reboot on that, so I'm working on that one as well. Um, Warcraft, Warcraft, and one other. I think there's like three or four. Wow. So, so quick question: Are you going into the studio to do that, or are you? Yeah, going? yeah, yeah. I'll go in the yeah. studio. Yeah, because they have. Um, because um, I need uh, the, uh, the, the the software for connecting the producers to the studio because they're remote. Ah, uh, yes. Not, they're not there. So um, you have to be in and have the, the software to go ahead and do uh, the remote uh, listening and viewing and things like that. So they have cameras, they have audio, and they can feed back and do the, the notes and sometimes the directing as well from a remote location. The only person in the studio with me in this recent year has been just the engineer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, it was the casting person um, and maybe the director. But most of the, but lately, it's just been it's all done remotely. Um, you know, so they can all uh, listen in and you know uh, do notes and things like that. Wow. And and do you get when you're doing the video games? Do you do you get storyboards? Do you get any kind of look of what your character is? Sometimes, yeah. Um, one of the games I just finished, they did. Uh, it was a fantasy game. They had, they actually showed me video, a video promo that they had done, mm-hmm. which was really amazing. Um, it was beautiful. So the way it was done, um, great animation. Um, they showed me that. They showed me the type of the, the the image of the character. They showed me a bunch of stuff. Sometimes um, they don't have uh, the images of the characters because they're not done yet. Right, right. And so they're still tweaking them. Uh, so they don't, they don't, sometimes they don't have them at all. Um, Do they tend to animate to your performance? Um, it depends. It depends. Um, and the one I did recently, they just put a headdress on, a headset on me mm-hmm. with a camera. And so they could, and I had to put these spots all over my face. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. You had to motion right, right. my uh, expressions. So they will, in that particular case, they will model my expressions with the uh, with the character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I mean, look, you you you're 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 acting when you're doing voiceovers, but when you're actually acting as the model, physical model for a character, I I would think that would ask more of you. Um. Yeah, it, it, well, it, it, in, in general, the VO is going to be um, uh, much more um, in-depth and harder to do than just um, on-camera acting, just, just off the top. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we're, when we're doing like that motion capture thing, and I don't do that all the time, it's just that one project recently that I had to do it on, it was more, uh, I didn't have to uh, focus on what I was doing so much with my face. I just went ahead and read the lines Mm-hmm. And I guess they're just going to use the shape of my face, uh, perhaps as a model for the actual character. So when mm-hmm. they animate, when they animated, at least the exp- the expressions on my face will look different than you know the character next to me. Um, so that's right. all. They, that's the that's the difference that they want uh, more than anything else. Right. Yes, yeah, so it's not a. It's yeah. It's not not a, a mechanical looking. You no, know, animation. No. It's that it's got the quirks of the human quirks, and that that's what's really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that some of these uh, video game uh, companies are very, very secretive about you know the name of the game or right. what right. the whole story is, and so that's they may right. give you a couple of pages and mm-hmm. you know practically nothing. Oh yeah, I never get the whole script. Um, and as a matter of fact, I don't even have the title, the right title of the game. They, just have, a, they have a, a, you know, they have a faux title, just something that, uh, to call it. And it, when I'm in there, I usually ask the engineer, all right, what's the actual game? And he'll tell me what the actual game is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very smart. Yeah. The whole gaming industry is such a huge, I mean, it's way bigger than, than motion picture and stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Pretty, pretty chunky, and and you know these guys got to stay one step ahead of the technology. They got to stay one step ahead on on how these games are produced and what they're going to look like, and then how they're played. You know, mm-hmm. uh, everything, all of that is 
every bit of that is in transition literally all the time. Um, uh, like, well, like, and I know that I'm sorry, go on to you know, like, like much of our high tech, it's all the same. It's in mm-hmm. transition. It's constantly being upgraded. It's constantly being changed, constantly being, uh, you know, expanded or uh, modified and, uh, upgraded. And, uh, so, you know, the, uh, the, the you know, mocap, you know, when I started out at the, the beginning, we weren't doing mocap and now, you know, mocap becomes more prominent as on some of these projects. So that's a full on, you know, wet suit with ping pong balls all over it mm-hmm. and, and on a sound stage and, you know, jumping around and doing whatever so they can actually get the movement for your, uh, for your body. I think I did one, a mirror, is it mirror image? Is that the one I'm trying to think if that was the one? Um, oh, mirror's edge. Mirror's I edge. Think yeah. It is. yeah. That's the one, the last one they did of that. I was in that one. Um, it's kind of a Birdman uh, character and mm-hmm. uh, sage to the runner. And, uh, and I had to do that full mocap. Um, wow. I, I haven't seen the game. I don't have it. Um, I never, I don't, I don't have a copy of it, but I did see some of the animation that they were working on. It looked pretty good. So that's, you know, that stuff, that stuff comes into play now uh, a little bit more. It's not mm-hmm. as often. I just done, I've just done the one full mocap and then I just did this one here for just for my expression, facial expressions, mocap. Um, you know, it's a full on rig, you know, with stuff hanging off the right. front and lights and cameras and uh-huh. shit. So, yeah. So they're like recording or, or, that scanner that's hanging over your head, looking at your face and stuff. That's right. That yeah. Thing. Yeah. My, uh, a good friend of mine, Mark Feldman is a still photographer for avatar. And yeah. so I would see all that, all that motion capture stuff from them. And it was like, you know, uh, amazing, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, is, so. it is truly. Yeah. It is truly amazing. And you know, whatever tech they were using during avatar is now changed probably dramatically. Uh, in mm-hmm. this version of whatever there's they're doing is going to be different. You know, it's going to be more, it's going to be upgraded to something even mm-hmm. more sophisticated to get the, 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 the real looks uh, of the, of the games. I mean, you could tell by now, man, the games that you play are, I mean, the, the human faces are amazing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, we were, oh, yeah. t- Tom and I were talking a little bit about, I don't know if Tom had seen it about the Mandalorian and that new, that screen that they're filming against where you that's can actually right. see it that's versus right. a green screen. I'm like, Oh my God, that's like amazing. Can you yep. imagine shooting? You have, have you shot on anything like that at all? No, yet? No, no, I haven't done anything like that. It's a 3d uh, screen projection and they're, and they have hard physical uh, set pieces uh, in yeah. the foreground that the actors can actually walk around and do whatever. And then they just lay the whole thing in the background. Yeah. I've, I've seen it. I just watched a show last night where somebody was standing in front of Niagara Falls, and it was clearly uh, a screen. Um, mm-hmm. um, and, and those screens look a lot better than green screen. They look real, you know. So, right. Um, that is the new thing, you know. That's the new thing. And that's going to be, you know, right now it's new. In two years it'll be commonplace. And I think that that would be easier for you as an actor to act within the environment when you can see it. Well, sure. Yeah. Without having to look at just having, a, you know, a green screen and whatever ping pong ball. Or something. It, it, yeah, it's a lot. It is. Um, it, it's it's got to feel like an amazing experience when you're walking around into that environment. And, and it seems like you're standing in the middle of a desert, you know, or, <laughs> or a mountain right. pass, you know, when you're nowhere near it um, or a cityscape. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's 
it's it's got to feel amazing, you know. And it helps again to have you still have to have some three dimensional set pieces built, you know. You still have mm-hmm. to have a setting, something you can walk around, touch, and sit on, and do whatever. Um, so you still have to you still have to have something in the foreground that that, that actually works. Um, so uh, we're, all you're dealing with at the end of the day is the background and stuff for camera, and it's it just makes it easier. They don't have to go anywhere. They can shoot the whole scene or scenes as it were in a studio, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been, it's been amazing. And I'm, I'm excited about that technology kind of infiltrating out, you know? Yeah. I can't, with the... can't imagine a nightmare of just, you know, <laughs> just a nightmare of the, of the tech to get that all right. And for everything to work properly <laughs> on, a, on a daily, <clears throat> daily and hourly basis. I just can't imagine. Uh huh. And when it glitches and there's a, yeah, there's a flash or a glitch in the, (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's incredible. But you know, even that, you know, uh, when you see uh, a movie like uh, uh, 1917 and how much they've stitched that entire film has been stitched together. Right. uh, When you, when you see how smooth that can be done without like any scenes, none whatsoever. um, You know, that tells you where we're, where we're going with all this, you know? It opens up storytelling big time, I think, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. So you, I mean, and you're used to, you're used to that, you know, the whole science fiction kind of thing of being in a, in an alien kind of environment. And, and I'm sure this is light years beyond, you know, what you dealt with at times. Yeah. Yeah. We had nothing but hard sets and, you know, some graphics animation for the space stuff and things like that. But we had all hard sets. Everything was it was a hard set. The makeup was all hard stuff, but they didn't modify the makeup. There wasn't as much uh, rotoscope stuff done back then mm-hmm. um, as there is now. Uh, the CG stuff they can erase and put in is just, it's a whole different process right now. Uh, I, I, I worked on a show not long ago where the director, you know, you know, every other word out of his mouth was, ah, don't worry about it. We'll fix it in post. We'll just erase it. The classic Hollywood. And literally they mean, you know, he said, I'll, I'll, well, don't worry about it. We'll take it out in post. I said, there was a kid walking in through the shot in the background. Now, now we'll get rid of it in post. Literally. That's what he said. I was moving on. Wow. <laughs> wasn't yeah, even concerned. Wasn't, no, no, not the least. I mean, almost like I said, every other scene, he would say that. I, I was, I was really, you know, taken aback by how many times he said it he said mm-hmm. oh yeah we're gonna do all that in post oh yeah we're gonna fix all that in post oh yeah we're gonna do all i mean the costumes that these these girls were wearing um were were not finished i mean the the, the look that they were trying to achieve in the shot or in the scene uh was very specific and the makeup and the costumes were partially there they weren't quite done like it's they weren't finished it was they were rough and so all they're the, adding. All that's, all that's going to be CG'd in. Wow, they're adding to the costumes. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's amazing to me. They'll add to costumes and they'll add to makeup. They add to costumes and makeup in every shot. It doesn't matter. Well, I know I, yeah. I was amazed when, what's his name? Uh, is it Henry Cavall? And then he had the mustache and they removed his mustache from some of the Superman stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm thinking, oh, must have been a pain. And... Um, because I remember doing stuff at Warner Brothers where I'd get a photograph and they'd come in and they go, oh, well, we need you to clean all these smudges in the glass behind this guy. And I'm like, it was a gallery shoot. Why didn't you use a little Windex during the shoot and just clean it? You know, and, and he's got stubble and they're like, oh, can you get rid of his stubble? 
you could have had him shave. It's like <laughs> corrected in post. And I'm like, no, oh, but anyway, no. I, that's nothing. That's nothing <laughs> compared to what they're doing now. I mean, they're blending, mm-hmm. you know, if you have special effects makeup and there's rough edges, they'll just blend them. They'll blend them in CGI and post. That's what they're going to, that's what they're doing now. Um, to make it look like, you know, seamless. And, you know, it is, it's frame by frame, but I think the software that they're using is probably able to track without having to do it manually frame by frame. Right, right. So I'm pretty sure, and I haven't used it and seen it yet, but I'm pretty sure that's where it's gotten to now. So, yeah, you're going to pay somebody to do it, but they're able to do it easily. Take somebody right out of a shot. Literally, I just had to do it. My editor that I'm working with on a small um, a series pilot uh, pitch project, there was somebody walking in the background uh, mm-hmm. between the door and the door frame. It's just a, a, you know, it's about a foot wide space and he walks through the shot. He took him out. I mean, I just saw the edit yesterday and, and he's gone. Wow. And, and I don't even, and he's not even, that's not even high end, but in some kind of way he took it out. He just matted the, uh, and the shot was actually moving. The camera shot is actually moving. Uh-huh. So it's 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 so it's matching the people that don't want to get rid of and getting rid of it. I mean, I've seen it in Photoshop. Photoshop has some new amazing features, like a sky replacement feature that is just amazing. Yeah. So I, I know in the motion stuff, it, it's got to be all that same stuff where same stuff. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just it's nothing but it's nothing but you know zeros and ones anymore. I mean, that's that's how everything's going to be done and and. Uh, That'll be the world, and pretty soon, you know, they're not going to even need actors. They're going to have actors just generated by computers. <laughs> it's true, and and the voices, by the way, that go with them. Yeah, all that. I have, you know, yeah. Now I Great just talk. remembered George Lucas actually. He doesn't really like working with actors, and and uh, really, the development of Jar Jar Binks was a precursor in his mind to being able to replace everybody. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, look at Blade Runner. Um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, with Sean Young when she stands there as her younger self in the middle of the movie. Um, right, <laughs> it's impossible. It's an impossible. Yeah, she looks as real as anybody else would have looked. I mean, in 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 real life, it looks like she went back and grabbed her from the past and just put her in the movie. And mm-hmm. that's a complete. Complete read. Yes, but I, I think that one of the lessons, though, of video games, which, as you said, I mean, it's amazing how realistic the faces and movements look now, particularly in something like The Last of Us, The Last of Us 2. Mm-hmm. But initially, when video games were being made, they didn't care about the voice acting. They would get the worst voice actors in the world. They would pay them like 10 bucks and... Now they realize they need real actors to really imbue these performances with real emotion. Uh, yeah. And I don't think, I hope you'll never be able to, to just create that synthetically. Well, we'd like to hope, but, you know, um, we're not using film cameras anymore. We're using mm-hmm. you know, digital. And everybody digital. said, yeah, we'll never not use film. Yeah, film's never <laughs> going away. No, it's going away. There's yeah. a handful, oh, yeah. a handful of... Um, uh, you know, uh, if, you know, devotees. Yeah, the diehard film. Yeah, because they can, they have the money and the time and the whatever. Um, but working with digital for me is ten times, twenty times easier uh, mm-hmm. than risking shooting something and have to have the film processed and not have any bugaboos in it and 
you know, something go wrong with it, and now you're stuck having to, you know, with nothing. So uh, they should be able to make uh, copies and, and just keep going without any problem. That's It's so much easier to, to shoot and so much less so, expensive. So jumping into that, is that is it something recently that you've shot? Did you like this one one of your one of the recent films? We can talk a little bit about what you've been directing. Um, yeah, um, sent- just uh, just uh, I'm working on a couple of pilot presentations right now. I just finished shooting one. It was a sci-fi project, and I just and the other one was a sort of a feel-good family project um, as a as a series pilot presentation for a couple of uh, associates of mine that uh, one of them you know to, to put them together. Um, I'm speaking to somebody now about shooting another feature. Um, supposed to get the script this weekend. I don't know when that's going to happen, but uh, just talking to somebody about, it, uh, somebody about that and also just pushing two projects of my own, which is a series, action-adventure, sort of hero, superhero-type series, and also mm-hmm. a, uh, also a, um, a biopic, uh, which would be a limited series. So um, in the process of pushing those two projects uh, of my own, that's exciting. So, yeah, it's it's um, the 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 uh, the shooting stuff. Um, I, most of what I've done recently, I uh, did shoot a feature up in Sacramento, which was a uh, a horror. You know, it's a horror B flick. You know, it's just a vampire, mm-hmm. supernatural, whatever. You know, we've seen it already, flick, and um, uh, shot that up there about uh, a little less than a year ago. Um, the COVID held up their post, but they got they're back into it now. So, um, is that the Sla- is that the Slayer Chronicles? Yeah, one, Slayer or is Chronicles. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, and they have a lot of work to do on that because you know uh, the the producer on that project. I'm not, you know, I'm just shooting the project, and they and they hired mm-hmm. to shoot it. My daughter was in it; she was featured, and I took the project because she was. She had a sizable role in it, and if she didn't have a sizable role, I probably wouldn't have bothered to shoot it. But mm-hmm. because she was in it, I wanted to make sure at least that that you know uh, that she looked that she looked good and it was done properly for her as a vehicle, not like you know mm-hmm. not being able to truck because there was nobody, there wasn't anybody else, <laughs> there was nobody else slated <laughs> to to actually take the helm and actually do it. I was I asked him, I said, well, who's who's shooting this thing? Well, or uh, I might be doing, I said, oh my God, no, let me just come up here. And <laughs> go up here and spend 10 days or whatever the hell it is getting this thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it's one of those. It's, it's right. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. There's, there's <laughs> lots and lots of uh, places for those. Yeah. It's a good trailer for me and a piece of film for her. And that's pretty much how it's going to, going to play out. Um, right. And, and when you're an actor, uh, you know, you don't know whether the film footage that you get out of anything is going to be usable for your reel or, a, you know, a good sample of your work or whether you're going to be edited out or whether, you know, the the audio sucks or whatever. Yeah. So by taking that and directing it, you made sure that she had something really good. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that will be – and as a matter of fact, for both of us, I can use – uh, the footage. Now, matter of fact, I've mm-hmm. already the footage. Um, I don't know if I sent the Slayer trailer. Yeah, you me. sent me the trailer. Oh, yeah. You sent the trailer for it. Which... Oh yeah, yeah, that that that. Yeah, that which looks... cut, that trailer cuts dead on, man. I had a buddy of mine do that trailer cut for me, not the mm-hmm. producer. 
because they don't know how to cut trailers. It's uh, it, oh no, that's an it's an art in itself. Just doing trailers, most 100%, definitely. One hundred percent, and and I can't tell you how many times I try to explain that to people. Um, the, 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 because of our technology, everybody in his his ass, for, you know, wants to throw their hat in the ring. Okay, writing, which they can't, producing, mm, which no, they yeah. can't, uh, post, which they can't, editing, which they can't. And I try to tell them, you know, and trailers, cutting trailers, which they can't. I keep telling you, you have to hire the people who know how to do this stuff, man. Don't bother trying to do it yourself. If you don't have the expertise or experience, just give it to somebody who does. And my buddy who cut that Slayer trailer, man, I've, I've given him stuff that somebody gave me in the past that looked like, you know, uh, I, I, it, was, it, was, it was an abomination of a trailer. I gave it to him. Just <laughs> Just the footage from the abomination. From the trailer. Film. Oh, okay. Just the trailer, and he reassembled it, and he gave, he gave gave it back to me, and I was like, I cannot believe that's the same movie. I cannot believe. Wow. It. Not only did he cut it with an A plot, he cut it with a B plot. And that's ah, wow. The original, not in the original trailer, because that's how good he is. <laughs> wow. That was in one, in one day. Good. He did that. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's, that's who I go to <laughs> in about a second. For stuff like that, but, you know, I just tell people just give them some money and let them do it, and you'll be happy. You know, I can't say as much for the film, but you can certainly get a trailer that's going to right. Yeah. You no, know, and no, that's, no, that's you know, that's, that's all I yeah. need. You know, uh, that's so true. That that whole editing process. You know, the trailer is one thing. Also, we talked about the film. Editing on the film is is a you know that's a big big risk. Sure. You can really change the restructure of a film and make a film way more amazing. Oh, of course, I think. As a matter of fact, it's only, as a matter of fact, the stuff in the middle is, you know, you could probably get away with without a whole lot of whatever, you know, all the, all the shooting and the stuff in the middle. No, no, it's the, it's the script at the front and it's mm -hmm. the editing at the back. So if you don't have a script, you've got garbage. And if you don't have the editing at the back, you've also got garbage. The only thing in the middle, I think that really counts is the, uh, are the actors. You've got to have a decent, decent talent to carry it. If your talents mm -hmm. if your talents weak, it's not gonna it's not gonna play uh, as well. So if the casting, yes, that's important. The talent's important, uh, along with the script at the front and the editing at the back. You have to have that post done properly, otherwise mm -hmm. it doesn't work. So. Yeah, I remember reading uh, an account of one of the one of the great editors, and of course I can't remember his name because we always forget the editors, but. Uh, right. Yeah. Woody Allen's first movie that he directed was Bananas, and uh, and you know he brought all the footage to this editor, and he said it was just a, a mess. There wasn't there wasn't a story. It was yeah. a series of kind of you comedy. know yeah comedy pastiches, and uh, well he turned it into uh, you know something that really kind of held together, yep. um, which was a challenge. Yeah. 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 Editing is, uh, it is, um, I call it, um, I call it alchemy. It's a, it's a form of alchemy. Um, mm -hmm. you have to have it, you have all the bits and pieces and you have the skills, but then there's that, that magic, um, that comes in that, that, that an editor's eye can see. And it's an objective eye. Typically it's an objective eye. Uh, sometimes if the editor's on set, and, there were, and they can see what the director's doing, then, you know, you can follow the director's vision. And if it's a very specific thing, like the director, uh, director writer in some cases that, that sees something very, very specific, usually they're going to be in on the editing as well. They're going to want it cut mm -hmm. the way that they envision it, you know, and then you get what you get. 
Uh, in other cases, it's just, you know, you give the editor a, a pile of freaking scraps and and a script, <laughs> script, maybe with some notes or maybe not, um, there, and then the editor has to put this scene together. And they can change the structure. Uh, they can change the order of the scenes. They can change mm -hmm. all that stuff to make this thing really fail. And uh, there is a magic to it, for sure. There's definitely a magic to it. Um, my hat's off. Taking that. Taking that that base metal and and turning it into gold. Oh my god! Sure. It's such a meticulous process. I mean, I, I worked with the editor on this pilot presentation. I did it was about thirty five minutes of the story, and I had I basically went over every single shot in that thing almost with the editor, just cutting it because uh, I knew, you know, I shot it, so I knew what the what the scenes of the pieces were, and I know how they're supposed to fit together, and. You know, you're down to frames in some cases. You're down to you get down to frames, just like literally take 15 frames out of this or add 15 frames to that. Uh -huh. It's that precise, just in how the pace of the scene flows. And there's there's a, a sense and a magic to that where you decide to cut. You know, and and even the most expensive films in the in the world, you know, are basically just straight cuts if you look mm -hmm. at them. Most of the most expensive films in the world, in terms of editing, are just straight cuts. They're cuts. You yeah. know, you may have a lot of CGI effects and all that going on in post and processing, but the actual film is just a series of cuts. That's it. So on an editing mm -hmm. on an editing system that you're you're using, it can be complicated or it can be very simple because basically what you're doing is just cutting. You're cutting right, right. one shot to another. You may have a lap dissolve here and there, or fade to black, or whatever. But it's basically just cuts. The cuts. Yeah. I, uh, we were uh, Tom and I used to make Super Eight movies back in the seventies, and uh, I've kind of recently had a bunch of some of it, you know, transferred and it's digitally, because I always wanted to be able to edit it back then, and it was such a pain, you know, to, to me, me as a teenager editing Super Eight and gluing it and cutting it. <laughs> but now I've taken a lot of that footage, and just what you said, I can remove those 15 frames. I can tighten things up, and it actually makes some of the stuff I shot back then look look pretty cool. <laughs> oh, of course, because yes, they, 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 they were works of genius. Yeah, you had, to, you had to cut the neg. You had to cut the yeah, uh, yeah. You had to cut the negative, um, uh, the actual film piece, and that's that's a little trickier than, than we did. A I pulled an old piece that I did. We were, this is way before, we were oh, 70, probably this is 70-something, 70 73, 72, yeah. after the original Star Trek. So we were in sent, we were just enthralled with Star Trek. And so I did this scene where I shot my friend with a pretend like a phaser, and then he, he did the shake and then fall. And so then I took the film, the Super 8 film, and I scratched every single frame from the phaser out to him and then i did this glowing thing around him and you know really on the physical film and it's it's so fun to see it now and every, play with it every frame yeah every, yeah 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 every physically frame. scraping every frame to do to do that effect yep. um so yeah yeah it, it was yeah, fun I mean, and very different world uh, I just I just want to take a moment, though, uh, since we haven't done a formal introduction, you know, that we're here with Tim Russ. And while many people are familiar with him only from Star Trek, the fact is, is that 
he's an incredibly, you're just an amazingly multifaceted guy. You direct, you act, you write, uh, you're a musician. Um, there's just so much you've done that some people have no knowledge of whatsoever, that you, you have a very comprehensive career. Well, it's been, um, you know, it, 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 I think primarily because it's been that many years um, in which um, I've had a chance to, to, to work in all these different areas. Um, I, was, uh, I was a musician before I started working as an actor. I've been a musician for 45 years. And I still perform um, and, I, and I've had opportunities to work as an actor in a role specifically because I could still play, you know, uh, a guitar. And right. uh, was cast because of that. Um, so those have overlapped each other on occasion. Um, the, uh, since working on Voyager, most of what I've done since that time as a result of Voyager being that springboard for it, because uh, the directing started while I was on that series. Uh, voiceover started while I was on that series. Um, and, and then writing short projects, a short form project started and, and shooting them and filming them while I was on that series as well, all mm -hmm. the way into where we are now. So, uh, that's, so that's wait a second, you're telling me that your, your role as principal on iCarly was not the springboard? <laughs> well, you know, more people would have seen me in iCarly than would have seen me in Voyager worldwide. That's <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, in fact, you were talking about being cast as a, uh, into a role because you can play the guitar. There was an episode of, I think, NCIS. That's correct. Where you played a band member. That's right. And, uh, and a lot of people were very happy to see two Star Trek actors in the same episode, you and Scott Bakula. That's right. Yeah, we, um, he, I, had to, uh, I had to send them. Uh, a demonstration of my uh, uh, blues guitar playing and singing. I had to send that to them as a separate piece from the audition that I wrote for it. Wow. They said, can you play? I said, yeah, because they they filmed the actual music and playing. That was not uh, I was not done to, to play back. That was live. We played that live. Wow. Uh-huh. That's pretty good. Uh, so it was a very cool and a very great opportunity for me to... Uh, for me to step in and do something like that, to be able to combine those two things into one role, I was absolutely thrilled uh, to be able to do that. And it must have been really fun and, and really rewarding. Uh, tremendously so, because most of the time, you know, uh, the television roles are kind of cookie cutter, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, because they're, you know, they, 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 they hire, they, they cast the roles you know, basically for what the people are and, and they just play the stuff, the same stuff over and over. So that the, those roles are, are not that diverse and they're not that unusual. So, uh, you know, to be able to break out of that just for a minute and be able to do something like that and different is, is an absolute thrill. Um, and as I've always said to most of the, 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 the best parts and the best roles out there are in the, are the, those of the independent films that are made. Mm -hmm. uh, the pay is usually crap, but the films are <laughs> usually, the roles are usually much, much better, uh, much, much more interesting and diverse. Well, and I'll, I'll say that uh, on television, very often you play some kind of authority figure, um, which you're, you know, extremely good at. Uh, part of it is your incredible voice, which is, you know, just, it's got this tenor to it. Um, but, uh, 
you know, an indie film, I take it, allows you to play all kinds of other roles and explore all color, all, all kinds of other sides of yourself. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly what happens. I mean, you just get cast in, in parts that you would not even imagine. I mean, I have stuff on my uh, acting demo reel that's probably 20 years old by now, if mm-hmm. not more than that. But it's so unusual and so different uh, uh, up against the other parts that are on there that I never take it off. I just leave it on there. And, and, and the character doesn't look younger than I do now. So, it, you know, time-wise, my look doesn't change that much. So, it, it, and it's just totally different. It's a black and white piece. It looks, uh, it's a, it basically, it's a redo of a silent film. It's a, it's a, mm. it's a, it's a, a reproduction of the oh, film. Oh, uh, with the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That is correct. Yeah. That's, that's, that role looks like uh-huh. nothing else on nothing Mars. else you've done nothing else and and that's an independent film very little money per day for the for the for the rate of uh, a friend of mm-hmm. mine producing it did all the work on it uh and that was a brilliant uh, uh piece that he put together and and it looks amazing so anything that doesn't look you know the same as, as everything else um and in terms of the roles that come down the stuff that I've been offered on on independent films, you know, everything from westerns to you know Caligari to other parts of sci- some sci-fi stuff, just stuff that's different mm-hmm. to the type of character that I can play. Fifth Passenger, what a great you know uh, a different role. Yes, it was an authority figure, but it was a different you know sort of circumstance uh, in the social hierarchy of the of the storyline and the, and the characters. It was just everything. Everything in these independent roles is so much more interesting than than in the uh, the, the the you know the network you know, doctor, lawyer, mm-hmm. whatever police drama. Oh my god! You know that, that stuff. So <laughs> it, all right, and it's interesting because now people can make in people are more able to make indie movies than they used to be. I mean, the the technology allows you to to make a movie uh, fairly cheaply compared to. Uh, before so that you know people were worried about getting typecast on television and you know it still happens but at least now you have an opportunity to do other things more opportunities i would think than say 40 50 years ago or even before that yeah you do have an opportunity the the, the main advantage of those things is going to be you know uh just being able to get a hold of the footage and it is harder to get that when you have an independent film because they don't want to let that footage out so right. uh, until it's in distribution, so it's very hard to get that stuff in your hands. You know, so, and, and honestly, you know, usually it's not the payday. It's going to be just, you know, a chance to do something a little different. And hopefully it ever gets done or seen or released or anything else. You know, there, there, there is that side of it. And, and also in terms of the quality of the process <clears throat> itself and the writing and things like that. Right. Um, for, for several of the projects that I was um, either up for a role or was cast in a role and either did or didn't shoot it, um, I had the option to be able to, uh, to work on, uh, to rework my dialogue if it, if it needed to be reworked. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and that was part of the deal. Oh, I wouldn't wow. do it unless I had a chance to, uh, to make sure that dialogue is on, on point. Because if it's not, I'm not going to want to say it. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to make sense and it's got to read properly and it's got to, it's got to be, it's got to be right for the character. Because a lot of times it isn't. 
you know, again, everybody can throw their hat in the ring. You're gonna, you know, you know, five hundred thousand or four hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollars to shoot the thing, and they don't know that they're ass from a hole in the ground. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know what they're doing, you know, in terms of writing. Right. They think they can write. I'm looking at some stuff that makes absolutely no sense. You know, characters. Yeah, no. Uh, a writer, when a writer's writing, they, they, you know, they're trying to imagine what these characters are doing. But when you're an actor and you're actually in the situation, uh, I, I would think you have an entirely different perspective and a better perspective on who the character is. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 some of the stuff is... Um, Overwritten. Uh, some of it is uh, yeah. never, never underwritten. It's always overwritten. Overwritten. Yeah, or it's repetitive. You know, the paragraph is repetitive. What he said, he said in the first line. Get rid of the rest I, of it. You don't need it. You know. I have a. I have a. Well, Tom and I have a mutual friend, but I have a good friend Terry who, who comes from writing a lot of plays, and she's just been recently trying to to write some. You know, a bit more in the screenplay line, and she's like, "Oh my God, this is liberating." I don't have to figure out how to get the actor off the stage, onto the stage. I don't have to figure out how to do the set change. I can just cut to the next day. <laughs> and it was, she's like, oh my God, this is a major revelation for her. Um, I laughed and, you know, it, it's, it's so true. It's like, you know, what you're talking about, belabored writing, because the writer gets into that saying, I got to write all this. And she's like, I'm fine. And I, I don't have to, I got to have a five minute scene. There's no dialogue. And it can yeah. tell my story. <laughs> can tell my story. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine who writes, um, you know, uh, with all the colors and descriptions of stuff, and none of that is shootable. I mean, I can't shoot. <laughs> I can't right. Try to tell them what to do. You have to. You have to give me action. You have to give me something that the characters are actually doing. You know, mm-hmm. their, their their expression is all I have to work with as far as what they're feeling. You know, short of some silly narration, you know, you need, you know, I need to see what they're doing. What does A do to B? What does B do to A? And whatever in the scene, uh, what happens? What do they walk to the door? They grab this, they take that, they sit down, they call. I need to see the action instead of describing to me for a half a page, you know, what's going through their head. I can't shoot that, man. I don't have mm-hmm. that on camera. So you know, when you're writing for screen and, you know, dialogue, especially, it is really critical it is really important i mean there's practical practical dialogue that has to move the story mm-hmm. forward there's exposition so the audience can figure out what's been said or what hasn't been said but you you know you you never hit it on the nose you all, you tend to use a metaphor you tend to use something more subtle you, you and in some cases and in some cases it is it's just a straight up conversation you know mm-hmm. metaphor all metaphor aside it's just a straight up conversation you know, it's an argument. It's a uh, explanation of what happened yesterday when I went to the store and got the blah, blah, blah. And I saw such and such there. You know, all of that is straight up dialogue. But in that dialogue, you still have to make it. You don't want to overwrite it, you know, uh, right. and, and pound it on the head and, and, and make it and, re- and repeat stuff and, and or change the, you know, have them say something that point blank that character would not say, you know, in a real world. You know, so you know, there's all of that uh, mm-hmm. in the play. Yeah, learning learning that stuff and learning how to uh, real people speak in short clipped sentences and not complete sentences and not you know, yeah, complete thoughts. Yeah, so. yeah, it's, it's 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 like I said, it's um, I, I I've read one script in the last 25 years that did not need any changes in it. One, just one. 
Wow, yeah. That I wouldn't have seen any changes needed. I mean, apart from the TV stuff and movie stuff that I normally feel like the, the TV stuff and the high-end films, uh, television stuff and high-end films, usually those are written pretty well. Even the episodes mm -hmm. are written pretty well. If you listen to the dialogue, those, right. you, know, you can go do a role. And then, you know, it, a lawyer, doctor, police, whatever, you know, it's all that stuff. All that stuff is written pretty straight up. Those aren't too tricky, and they're usually written pretty well. I don't have to change anything uh, or ask to change something on, a, on, those, on that dialogue. The independent films is another matter. And out of the, all, all the ones I've read, almost only one that I know the writer wow. has got experience. He's really good. Mm -hmm. um, that, that doesn't need any dialogue changes. Uh, the rest of it, you know, there's going to be stuff in there story-wise or in terms of dialogue that's got to be, you know, something ain't working or something ain't happening, you know. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, in terms of what they're saying and how they're saying it, it comes down to those, those little nuts and bolts, you know. Yeah, true, true. So, so to, to dump in to not belabor this, but you had mentioned you were doing some astronomy stuff and maybe some stuff with the Discovery Channel. Is that what you had told me? Yeah, I had done. Uh, I did. A, I was a contributor on NASA's Unexplained Files, which was on uh, Discovery Science. Um, it was last year. Year was at the beginning of 2019. It was in 2019. It was their mm -hmm. last. It was their last season. Um, uh, that they've done. I don't know if they're going to do any more, but it was their most recent season. And uh, I did about four or five episodes uh, on that show as a contributor um, uh, to to the uh, science and stuff that they were talking about. I, you know, they contacted me out of the blue and asked me if I wanted to do it. I said, Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, but I'm not a I'm not a degreed uh, uh, astronomer. I'm not a professional. Right, right. Astronomer. So just just so you know. I'm up against people with PhDs and shit like that. You know, I, <laughs> I don't want to get on there and embarrass myself. So um, I, they gave me the, the questions ahead of time. Some of the stuff I was, I was aware of and I was familiar with and other stuff I had to look up and make sure I had my ducks in a row. And then when they came in, mm -hmm. you know, we filmed what I knew and what I was aware of and what I had opinions on. And then and other stuff, they, they gave me some things to say, you know, just some, some, some quotes and lines to say in the mm -hmm. piece about that as well because – they would use them just before uh, a break, uh, commercial break, and they would have them in there just a little uh, plugs. But, but ultimately, um, there was a few things that I was familiar with, and it was up, I was up to date on the, on the discoveries and the uh, and the science and the, and, the, and such uh, and information about those things, so I could put them in there. It was fascinating. Uh, I was uh -huh. absolutely thrilled because I watched that show. I mean, it's something mm -hmm. that I watch, and and I have been an astronomer for about thirty plus years. Um, you know, I've got, I don't know, six, seven telescopes. I've got an imaging telescope. Uh, you know, I use this stuff all the time. And uh, uh, and it is... Yeah, I was going to ask you what your setups are, but uh, you you must have a place where you you where you where can view the sky uh, without much light pollution. Yeah, it, you have to, I have to get to it. It's not anywhere near town. I get to an hour drive, hour plus drive out of town. Uh -huh. uh, to get to dark enough skies to be able to see uh, the more faint objects in optical telescopes specifically. Um, the largest one I have is a 10-inch daub. I don't have anything bigger than that for optical viewing. Um, oh, yeah. An 8-inch mid-cast grain and a 10-inch Dobsonian, which I take out there to dark skies. It's an hour plus, hour and a half almost to get out there for mm -hmm. an city lights. Did you, did, you, did you build the Dobsonian yourself or did you buy a... 
oh, no, no, I bought it. I'm not going to build a telescope. I, <laughs> I, I know some nutty people that I know some nutty people that have built built their own Dobsonians. No can, can, can you explain what Dobsonian is? Because I, I yeah. just know nothing about this. Um, a Dobsonian telescope is basically a Newtonian design, which is a, a large mirror uh, at the back end of a, of a tube. And then the, the light comes through and hits the large mirror in the back, which is a light gathering uh, part of the uh, telescope. It gathers the light, hits the back primary mirror, the large mirror, and then it, and it bounces back to a secondary mirror at the front of the telescope, and then it bounces up to the eyepiece. So that, that, that distance between the primary mirror, the big one, and the, and the secondary mirror is the focal length of the telescope. That's, that's how much power the telescope has for magnification. And the farther, the farther away those two mirrors are, the more magnification you have. The shorter that distance, the less magnification. So the object you're looking at won't be very large. But the primary mirror, is it, it sits in a big, huge tube. And you put that tube in a rocker. Um, so you can spin it around and tilt it up and down. And, and that's it. It's the simplest, most basic yep. type of telescope. Very and it's big. Stuff. It's yeah. big. Yeah, they can be large. Yeah, they're... You know the tube is going to be pretty long because you need the focal length, but uh, you can get it. You can get one from six inches on up. Uh, the smallest decent sized dob is about six inches, um, mm-hmm. and it goes eight, ten, eleven, sixteen, whatever. You know, to the point where you need a step ladder to get to the eyepiece. You know that. Right, right. Uh, those are really nice uh, for optical viewing in dark skies because the objects you're looking at are very faint. You can't. They don't give off any light. You can't see them with the naked eye, so they have to be. The light has to be gathered. Uh, in dark skies by the primary mirror. That's the simplest type. Um, Schmidt Cassegrains, Maxudov Cassegrains are 20th century optics that combines a mirror and lenses. The mm-hmm. telescope is mm-hmm. actually smaller, but more powerful. That um, does not gather as much light uh, as a Dobsonian because you have lenses in there as well. So you're losing some of the light efficiency. The, the light bounces three times into the telescope as opposed to two. So you have those Schmidt cast grains and you have refractors, which is the long, the long tubes, like the Galilean type, so big, big, long uh, tubes. And that's the, it takes the light straight through from the front to the eyepiece. Mm-hmm. And it's a refractor. Mm-hmm. It uses only lenses. Um, and those are good for looking at sharp edge objects. So uh, I have, those are the three types, and I have all three. Actually, I don't have a refractor. I just own the, the, the cast grains but, uh, and then Dentonians. But those are what I use. In dark skies, what I have now that I'm demonstrating mm-hmm. is called a, a, a unistellar EV scope, which is an imaging telescope. Now this oh, is brand so new. No, so it's just an image, just a a, a a sensor. Yeah, it has. Well, it has that. It has a mirror. It's actually a telescope. It has a primary um, and secondary. Uh, it has a primary and secondary mirror in the telescope. It also has an image processor. So you can take it out um, mm-hmm. in the middle of the city um, and look at faint objects, and it will image capture those objects in a very, very short period of time. Uh, uh, period of time. And it does have an eyepiece. Right. You can look at the objects in real time through the eyepiece, and it will capture those images as you're looking. Um, and it's amazing what it can do. And then you can image enhance it and it'll bring those images out even more by layering them as you're viewing. So as you're looking at the object, it can be layered, and you can see the object actually mm-hmm. the view even more detailed than you would have normally looking at it. So wow. it, is, it is a combination 
of an imaging uh, 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 camera and a telescope. It does That's both. That's pretty neat. Yeah, you'll, and you'll it, have and to send me city lights. You'll have to send me a link to to who who this is. I'd love to kind of post this up so people Absolutely can see it. Will. Yeah, it's a very yeah. it's a very expensive piece, you know, relatively speaking as far as consumer, mm -hmm. consumer telescopes go. It's it's a little expensive. You're actually going to spend more money if you want to do serious serious astrophotography. It's going to cost you more money. This telescope is all built into one. Mm -hmm. So, if you want to be a hobbyist um, and 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 really but yet want to be able to do that and capture images the 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 uh, this telescope is absolutely brilliant. It also has built-in GPS and it works off the app off your phone, so it uh, can figure out where it is without you uh, having to tell it where it is. No, no polar so, alignment then. It it knows no, it knows no, how to do it. There's no entering parameters. There's no entering longitude and, and attitude. There's no entering anything at all. The telescope works off the locations on your your GPS on your phone. It has wireless capability, so if you once you you're on the on the telescope, it can wirelessly connect to your Tell it to your phone, so it's got its own Wi-Fi built in. Mm -hmm. Once it has the Wi-Fi, it reads the GPS on your phone, and it's done. It'll align itself in less than fifteen seconds. Wow, that's, without doing uh, anything, literally. Right, right, yeah. And it's done. It's done. It's not looking. It doesn't have to look at at at, at anything. Two, three and... stars? No, forget it. It just it'll 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 look at a star field. Uh -huh. it, knows your, it knows the GPS on your phone. It knows that the star field that it's looking at, it has it already in its catalog. It knows exactly where it is. And that's how quick it takes. It takes less than a minute to align that. Wow. With a, with a Impressive. Push of two buttons, that's it. And that's amazing. That to me is worth everything that there is. <laughs> Quite mm -hmm. a to computerized scopes because every other one of them out there, I don't care how much you spend on them. You got to go through some work to get those things to. to yeah, do. yeah, you've got to. Yeah. yeah, like you said, you got to look at two or three stars to make sure you're. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's not. It isn't worth. I mean it. And not. And plus, you know, the the it's a rechargeable telescope. I don't have to carry around a battery pack. The tripod mm -hmm. is is as light as you want as you please. It's a very light tripod. All you have is two pieces. There's no eyepieces. There's no mm -hmm. scope. There's no nothing. It's the <laughs> scope and the tripod. It's two pieces. You need absolutely nothing else, and you, and that and your cell phone, and you're done. And you can go anywhere, any place, as long as because the telescope itself has its own Wi-Fi, so you don't need a Wi-Fi signal from anywhere. It has it built in. And this is just uh, the first generation of this thing, because I'm sure they're going to do another one. But but ultimately, it's an independent company, and they just got off the ground about a year and a half ago uh, producing the scopes, and I'm actually demoing this thing for as a represented for it so they uh, like well you would but they're they're really amazing if you show um i'm living in outside of tucson now okay um and we are we are so dark so dark in my backyard looking up you know i've seen more more messier objects than i've ever seen in my life with my naked eyes That's and true. wow it's like you know, I'm like, it's dark. So, and we're in a dark, uh, the, the zoning is no streetlights and oh. to keep, keep it, keep it as, as, you know, dark as possible considering wow. it's a city. Wow. So, so that's very exciting. And, and my backyard now is like, you know, when I look at Orion, right. I friggin' see all of Orion. I see all those small, you know, all those lesser stars oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. make up the shield and make up everything. And it's like, 
you don't see that. You see obviously Orion when you're in Los Angeles, but yeah. but you don't see all the rest of it that really oh, makes no. it look the way it should. And you see that fuzz there where the Great Nebula and the and the Horsehead Nebula are, you know, in my naked eye, which aren't very good because I wear glasses, but I still can see that smudge just looking up. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy about that now. So. You see what, the well, dog star. You see the leash. You know. You should yeah. have. You should have the. Uh, you should have an optical telescope in your backyard, man. I don't know what you're waiting for. You my have, uh, my neighbor, my neighbor two doors down has a 10 inch uh, Schmidt Cassegrain. So. <laughs> oh boy, that that's a big one. That's a yep. that's a that, that's a big telescope. That'll get you. That'll get you some beautiful, beautiful images. We did a. Uh, we we sat out and watched when Mercury. You remember when Mercury transited the sun? Yeah. And, and we 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 sat out in his backyard and watched Mercury transiting the sun, and that was pretty 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 impressive on that's pretty you know, nice. his scope. That's pretty nice. You uh, should probably Tim, get a plutonium uh, for yourself. Yeah, I, I need to get something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that now? Uh, you were going to ask. Uh, me I just wanted to ask you, Tim. What was it that got you interested in astronomy to to begin with? Uh, you know, it was just. It was just one day the light went on and I said, you know, I want to, you know, I want to start observing uh, the sky, uh, the night sky. And it, it was just, it wasn't anything specifically. I had been watching a lot of um, uh, science documentaries on on, uh, on space science and things like that. So I was already interested in some of that. But then I decided, well, I want to do, do some of this hands on. And uh, I had enough money to be able to buy, you know, a small telescope and I took it out and started looking at the planets and things like that and some of the wide field stuff. And, and it was amazing. And, uh, and learning the sky, because back then there were no computerized consumer telescopes. You could right. them. And so you had to memorize where, where everything was in the sky. <laughs> and you had to go find it. And I, I was able to do that with a small little four inch uh, mirror, short tube mirror that I had, um, such a simple and easy telescope to use. And, uh, and I was able to find the planets and things like that, uh, although they weren't very big because it's only a, a 400 millimeter focal length. But at, mm. the end of the day, at the end of the day, I was able to see a lot of objects and learn. I basically learned the sky. So if I take the job out right now, I, I pre pretty much know where I'm going for most of the objects I want to look at. And I have a star chart that's based on my finder so I can find stuff fairly easily. Mm -hmm. uh, but only things that are going to look like something. I'm not interested. Right. I can barely tell what it is. So. Um, so I started just, uh, just, I just, just woke up one day and decided to go do it and, 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 uh, and I've never looked back. So, uh, it, it's, it's always been fascinating to me, uh, you know, in terms of what, what can be discovered and what the, you know, people are, are discovering out there, what the secrets are, what, what is yet to be discovered. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's incredible. So I, I. I absolutely love it. It's great. And it, and it's would, would you both say that it gives you a sense of perspective about, you know, the earth <laughs> and just us and our lives and all that? 100%. 100, oh, yeah. 100%. Um, especially given that, uh, you know, astronomers have, astrophysicists have recently, and planetary astronomers have recently just, you know, determined just by, you know, by, by the numbers um, and estimates of what, of what they've been able to observe in terms of planets around other exoplanets and things, and the and the conditions those planets might be in around other stars, they're 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 mm -hmm. calculating that there's not, there's not a great chance of that many uh, potentially intelligent uh, civilizations out there in our galaxy. Um, the number is really really small that they right. estimated, and this is fairly recent. This is like three months ago. 
that the numbers well, that, are really yeah cool. yeah, yeah. That, that, well it's it's always that possibility that we we always have talked about where is the elder race where are the and it's maybe maybe we're the elder race yeah, maybe, maybe we're maybe. the ones well this is this is what you know their calculations man are frighteningly small I mean ridiculously mm-hmm. small given the size of the galaxy it's a it's close to a hundred thousand light years across. Um, and, and, and they're coming up with, uh, between 35 and 200 possible intelligent civilizations, mm-hmm. 45 to 200, man, that's like empty, man. There's nothing there. Yeah. There's almost nothing there. And there's a lot of planets and there's a lot of planets and there's a lot of places you're, you know, but you're right about the being intelligent life. Yeah. Intelligent well, yeah. I, and intelligent life. I've heard the argument that the conditions that would allow life to to grow and evolve, you know, to to intelligent beings, are so minuscule, so specific, that some people claim, well, that's proof of the existence of God because it's basically a miracle yeah. uh, that <laughs> this could ever yeah. occur anywhere. You could you could compare. You might as well just compare it to being a miracle by a deity as much as, as it would be. Uh, I believe that the, the, the equation is the ninth configuration. That's the actual, that's how many zeros would mm-hmm. go find the odds of everything lining up perfectly. It, it's either that or you can just chalk it up to a deity. I mean, that, it, it, it is. It is miraculous in terms of the staggering odds mathematically that we get where we are today. That's it, man. I mean, this is, this is extraordinary for us to be here. And, mm-hmm. it, it, and, it, and it's potentially a very lonely existence in the, in the universe, man. I mean, this is, this is what we're looking at because, uh, yeah, it could be just us here in this particular galaxy. And uh, that's... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there'll be other potentially other civilizations. It's just that they're going to be so far away that we're never going to, uh, for the most part, be able to contact them. I just mm-hmm. not, we, we would be very lucky to have anything that was close by um, that we could actually communicate with or reach out to or whatever, or hear from. Right. Uh, I, think, I think if their calculations are accurate, um, that's different than the Drake equation, which was, was originally put the number at around 10... God, was it 10 million? Uh, 10 million? Quite, like, yeah, quite. It was quite quite high. Yeah, it was really high. It's, it's up in 11 billion or 11 million potential, you know, uh, habitable planets and civilizations that might be out there. And now it's revised to three, 35 to 200. I almost fell over when I read that. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, good Lord. That's, that's a whole hell of a lot of stars and star systems, you know, and opportunities for things to go because it's just a numbers game it's nothing mm-hmm. more than a numbers game i mean the more times you roll the dice the more times you're going to get a seven you know it's just the more times the more planets you have around stable stars you know uh that that can support life the more odds you have of life you know developing and becoming intelligent life so the, the, just the more you have the more chances you get and and it seems right. to me there's a lot of chances in a galaxy yeah, it seems like and, and they may be wrong on that. And the the other one that always intrigued me was the the notion that, you know, maybe a lot of these planets are water worlds. They're mostly water, and so they've got life. But how do you develop technological civilization from water? You know, a water environment. Yeah. Um, well, you, yeah, you have to ask Kevin Costner. 
And in, and in point of fact, um, I just read an article yesterday that Earth, in fact, Earth was a water world when it was first formed. It was mm -hmm. a water world. There was no land masses anywhere. Right. And, yeah. and do you need the do you need the land masses to to develop, you know, life that would understand or need fire and need, cool. you know, really electricity cute. It would need tools in certain mm -hmm. ways mm -hmm. or, or feet, actually? Yeah, no, uh, no, it's not. More than likely, it's not going to happen. More yeah, than likely, it's not going to happen without without land based uh, uh, creatures, you know, and surviving uh, to the point where they become intelligent, uh, and then and evolving to that point and not being wiped out as soon as they get to the peak of the <laughs> wiped out <by laughs> or something, you know, at the gamma <laughs> burst or some other crap that takes them out. You know, I mean, the the, the, the odds are just. They're just staggering, man. I mean, they're staggering. And, and the time mm -hmm. it takes to get, you know, evolve from point A to point B. It's why people look at that, you know, the, the science of evolution and just shake their head. There's no way that could have happened. Well, it, it happened. It's just that it it, did. it's just a very, very, very long time. That's what mm -hmm. it comes down to, you know, and, and, and a lot of rolls of the dice. And like well, I said, I, I've. Yeah. I've heard the theory, though, uh, uh, scientists advancing the, the theory that, well, yes, these things are minimally possible. I mean, impossibly possible almost. But if you posit an infinite number of realities, then it's, <laughs> it's inevitable that somewhere, somewhere life would actually happen. develop. In fact, yeah. yeah, in fact, if you want to go, you know, farther out into the universe, um, in theory, and this is basic, you know, physics, not even quantum physics. It's just a matter of if you walk down a beach with a lot of pebbles, um, you will find a heart-shaped pebble. And mm -hmm. if you walk further, you'll find another heart-shaped pebble. And if you walk further, again, you'll find another one. So in physics theory, um, nature should repeat herself, i.e., um, everybody has seen it. Um, Another civilization. Um, no, um, uh, doppelgangers. You all have seen Oh, oh, it's somebody that looks the same, yeah. Someone else, and I mean dead ringer. And the right. odds of, that's because the odds of the DNA stacking up exactly the same um, are, are astronomical, but over a period of time, they will repeat they will duplicate. So everybody has someone on this planet, maybe several people who look exactly like they do. So if you go far enough out into the universe, distance-wise, you should find another Earth that looks mm -hmm. a lot like our Earth with the same people walking around. If you go far enough away and far enough out into the future, mm -hmm. far enough out into the distance, in the, into the galaxies, you should find multiple Earths. That are and, just like and they all... Mm -hmm. And they all still have Blockbuster videos, so And probably. they will have warehouse and Blockbuster videos, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> still. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Some, of, some will be stuck in the Blockbuster video stage. <laughs> <of development>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And never, never to Netflix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never, never make it to dig digital. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So... Well, I don't want to keep you all day, Tim, but this has been uh, fabulous. We're really thrilled to have you talk to us about a lot of different things. I'd like to do one your uh, whatever we can plug for you. Are you playing with the band anywhere coming up? Um, um, if you only, have, yeah, the only time I play with my band is generally um, uh, late. Lately, has just been in the front yard of my house. I'll set up and do a gig in the front yard of the house. Oh yeah, I've heard of a lot of. 
A lot of people have been doing that in their their cul-de-sacs. I've heard that. A yep. lot of bands yep. have been playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it works. Neighbors. Yeah, I face I Facebook Live those shows, and I post them. I'll post them on my on my Facebook page, which is just under my name, Tim Rust, and I'll I'll post the link for people to be able to watch them as we do it. And then even after we play, they can come and tune in and watch the show. You know, I do about an hour, um, and I'll do them typically on a Saturday or Sunday when the when the mm-hmm. weather is really nice. And, uh, and so I'll probably do one later this month. But I'll just post it on there, and it'll be fine. It, it, okay, well, I'll send a link. I'll send a link yeah. to your Facebook page so people can find it yeah. if they want to see you play yeah. it. That would be great. And I, I, I do post on occasion the projects I'm working on on uh, my uh, webpage, which is timrusswebpage.com. Um, if anybody Googles my name, it's going to come up under the Google search, and you just go there, and I'll list the projects I'm working on right now uh, with as much detail as I can. Most of the time, I can't give away anything, so it's kind of no, there, true. But, um, and, and, uh, whatever acting roles and stuff that I've done. Um, I know there's a show called, uh, the, uh, them covenant, which is coming out on Amazon eventually, uh, the series mm-hmm. I worked on a year ago and I'm just waiting for them to release the thing. Uh, uh-huh. but, uh, it hasn't come on yet, but I'll be appearing in that, uh, that series at one of the episodes of the first three or four episodes. Um, outside of that, looking at, uh, you know, um, uh, if there's anything else I can send you that I'll post, I'll also send you, if you haven't seen them, if you, I don't know if I post these on Facebook and Twitter, but I'll post, I'll send you a couple of the images that I've taken from that telescope as well as the. Oh, that would be nice. And if there's a shot of the scope or, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, send you, I'll send you some of the primo shots that I've gotten, many of which were shot right in my backyard. So uh, with LA City Light, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll send you those and I'll send you the, the information for that uh, telescope as well. Um, and like I said, I do, uh, I do promote it and, and, uh, I'm a representative for it and, uh, I can, I can only say glowing things about it. It's just, uh, ah. so I'll, I'm going to have to, I'll have to show it to my neighbor with his, uh, his tenant Schmidt and see, uh, yeah. see how excited he gets. So. Yeah. If he's doing, if he's doing serious, um, astrophotography with that tenant, he, so he is, yeah, the, the, he's going to be able to get. You know, incredible stuff. I mean, you know, he's going to be out there for a while doing it mm-hmm. because, because that's that setup requires a lot of work. But uh, he's going to get some very nice stuff. I mean, uh, this telescope is not going to get the images that he can get. But uh, to be able to see these in real time while you're standing, mm-hmm. there, you know, and other people can look in the eyepiece and see it, you know, in in city lights, dead in the middle of L.A. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah I can, you can't beat that with a stick. So, um, I'll send you the images, and you can tell me yourself what you think about. Yeah, what this that would be awesome. Do. Yeah, yeah. And cool. most and most definitely, if you're ever out this way, you know, you have to come out. It's dark out here. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of well I have not, I've not found the the local really a astro- oh, well. We've been out here for a little while, but then COVID hit, so I haven't really met you know a lot of the small groups yet and and i'm gonna obviously start doing that you know once things kind of ease back up and find the local astronomy group the local digital kind of photography groups and yeah the local rocketry group so get your get your uh you should just grab a um you know a small uh dobsonian telescope or something and just Mm -hmm. you know just to just to get out and figure out where a few things are up there uh it's a really those are things that are really cheap. Um, you can get a you can get a computerized one, which is basically all of them are selling computerized um, Schmidt Cassegrains and things like that. You need at least a six inch aperture 
right, right. worth a damn up there. So uh, you can get those, you know, and fuss around with all that stuff. Uh, uh, I personally just like a manual, uh, inexpensive telescope. It's just, uh, mm-hmm. and just pop around the sky and look at stuff, you know. Have you guys uh, heard about the interstellar pandemic? Um, interstellar, interstellar. Yeah, you, you have to maintain a distance of six light years from everybody. Ah, from every civilization. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I've been working on that joke for the past 15 minutes. Uh, I saw so, somebody showed me a picture the other day of, uh, of Buck Rogers, not Buck Rogers, uh, one of those 1936 picture of this cylindrical spaceship with the flames coming out of the back and stuff. And then they, and right next to it is this picture of a starship SN 11 or whatever, the Elon Musk silver ship. It looked just like the stuff from Buck Rogers <laughs> with the flames coming out the back and, 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 and flittering up. And it's like, you know, Oh my God. It's like history repeat. Art. Art imitating life, or life life imitating art. That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah, not much change. Not much no. change. Yeah, no. not much change so. at all. They had to go to the next yeah. level, uh, break through the next level of technology in order to get through uh, to do the other <laughs> stuff. But uh, I'll send you that. I'll send you the links to the uh, the, the, uh, the yeah. The that would be awesome if you send you the links to the to the the images as well and see. Yeah, and if you have any shots of yourself, you know, at the scope and stuff, you know, that would be kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, I think just I to have, see. Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I, I have. I did a couple of videos for that telescope, and I um, and I have shots of myself with other the other telescopes that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I have those. The the Unistellar, I think, I just have a, a, a basically a screen cap of the video, like because I did a, a how to video on this thing. Right, and, um, and I'm pretty sure I posted it on YouTube. I think it's up on YouTube now. But yeah, um, I can find it. Yeah, and uh, it's on my channel. So yeah, it, I'll, I'll send you what I have on it, and uh, you guys. Excellent. And I and I have an actual pictures of the scope itself, so you can see that. As mm-hmm. well. I'll send that to you Many. now. All right. Good. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Tim. And um, maybe another point sometime this year, we can talk a little bit more when you have some new stuff happening that would be great and yeah. we're, we're very very pleased that you talk with us this is great My pleasure. Yep. Uh, thank you, thank you tim russ for coming on the show thank you guys take care of yourself okay thanks bye. tim all right bye-bye. bye-bye bye-bye you've been listening to movie reviews from an alternate earth with your hosts tom burka and greg dyro although there are many movies available to review we tend to stick to english productions from hollywood But if you have a favorite movie, please send us a note and we might add it to our review schedule.